together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We bless you, O Lord, this morning, and we will do it with all that is within us. You see us, you hear us, and you are pleased this morning with your people. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We bless you, O Lord. Your benefits toward us are immeasurable. Let us not overlook them, forget about them, miss any of them that we could ponder and give you praise for. Who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. O Lord, you forgive our sins. That's the greatest of all benefits the fullness in Jesus Christ. We are in a right relationship with you because of him, and you keep us there. O Lord, you heal our bodies when we are sick, probably more often. We know more often than we realize. And then the spiritual healings that you bring into our life, they bring special praise. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. O Lord, you redeemed our worthless lives that would lead us to the pit of despair here in this world and the eternal pits of hell. A rescue that is so enormous, let us not forget that you are our rescuer. And on top of that, you show a committed love and mercy toward us that just flows into our lives on a daily basis. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's O Lord, you satisfy our lives with good gifts, with your very goodness, and it all leads to our joy and our happiness, and this joy and happiness brings a refreshment and a renewal into our lives that we need. And we need it to be pleasing and to be able to do your work that you set before us. We pray that you would renew us this morning as we look into your word from the Gospel of Luke today. Amen. Well, one church that I served for a while held an annual healing prayer service uh, in January of every year. Now, why do we do this at this particular church? Well, because, of course, healing is a legitimate item of prayer. We all do it. There's not one of us who hasn't prayed for healing. And it's good to be doing it as a church. That's why we did it. And we needed a lot of teaching on the topic. And so I would teach on the theology of healing and theology of prayer. In 3 John, the apostle writes, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. And even more so, at this particular church, we witness God's blessings and healing in many ways through this prayer meeting every year. Now, we're always in need of healing in our lives, and God often grants it. Have you noticed that? Sometimes the need is physical, maybe it's relief from some long-term situation, a chronic situation, sometimes it's something very short-lived, sometimes it's things that get repeated in our lives, sometimes they're simple things, and it's okay to pray for simple things, sometimes they're great things, and the need is not always physical, so often the need is spiritual and emotional, we get depressed, we find ourselves trapped in sin and need escape. We find ourselves in a place of stagnancy in the Christian living. Sometimes doubts overtake our life. Sometimes we feel like we're being harassed by demons. Sometimes fears overtake us. 
Sometimes people need actual salvation, and they would find it here at this meeting. We're all in need of healing from the Lord so often in our lives, and we long for the ultimate healing of body and soul on the final day when we get complete freedom from sin and complete freedom from all of its effects that ravage our bodies. You know, all healings, when God performs them in this world, they're visible manifestations of his promise for that day. Every time we experience it, no matter how small or how great or we hear about it, that's yet another sign that the final day is coming of full and final healing. And at the same time, all the suffering that we go through in all of its various manifestations, they likewise are designed for our increased anticipation of that day because it makes us want it more. Well, we'd also talk about why the Lord heals and why he doesn't. It's not always his will. There are many gracious and mysterious things that our Lord does in our lives. Psalm 103.2 that we read this morning, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. But when he does decide to heal, it shows a lot of things. It shows that the kingdom of God has come. That's what Jesus said. It demonstrates God's mercy in a new and a fresh way that brings comfort and health into our lives. It equips us for service, and it removes impediments to ministries because, you know, it's hard to minister to other people when you're not feeling the best. It's hard to minister when your life is filled with things you don't want it full of. But we all know that God works through our weaknesses, but it's even greater sometimes when he works above them and actually removes them. Also, when God heals, it glorifies him because we end up praising him for his goodness and his love and his power and his wisdom and his presence. And it testifies to the world that God is a good and powerful God and that all salvation and all healing and all power and all praise is all centered on Jesus Christ the Lord, because there is no other source of healing, as we'll learn in our passage today. So please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, or you can follow along in the passage as I printed it for you in your worship folder. This passage is unique to Luke. In other words, the story doesn't occur in Matthew or Mark or John. It's another healing story. There are a lot of those in Luke. It's about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Well, Luke is telling this story to encourage us to go get mercy from God because he offers compassion through Jesus Christ. Go get it. 
It's all in Jesus Christ and available for you. And in our passage today, he heals on a Sabbath and he instigates a public debate again on God's mercy and himself. And in verses 10 to 13, we see he heals on the Sabbath on purpose. And then in verses 14 to 17, he teaches about God's mercy. And do you remember where we left off in our study of Luke and just a few verses ago, Luke 13, 6 through 9? And he began telling a parable. A certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and he didn't find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on, the fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why should it take up space? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too I will dig around it and put in fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. Well, this story purposefully follows it in Luke and our passage today because it shows the compassion and the opportunity that Jesus promised in verses 8 and 9. Here is yet another opportunity for the people to believe. And as you approach this text of Scripture today, I would encourage you to think about, well, what kind of mercy from the Lord do you need? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Go get mercy from him because he offers compassion. Well, in the beginning here, and Jesus heals during this Sabbath, we have a situation and a healing that takes place. Again, in verses 10 and 11, he was teaching on one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there's a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Bent over, she could not fully straighten herself. Now, Jesus opened his ministry this way. If you remember at the very beginning of Luke, in Luke chapter 4 in Nazareth, he declares himself the Messiah sent from God and quotes Isaiah 61 and performs healings. Well, interestingly, this is his last appearance in Luke in a synagogue. He will no longer be teaching there in the gospel according to Luke. Now, synagogue teaching and preaching involved very simple, very similar in a lot of ways to the way we do it, where a passage of scripture is read, and then a rabbi or someone who's recognized and qualified as a leader and teacher will comment on it. Now, there was also a woman there that day who'd been severely ill for 18 years, and Luke notes here for us that a spirit or a demon had been involved with this to some degree as well. Now, we've looked before at various combinations in Luke's gospel about illnesses and the influence of the demonic world. Interestingly here, this whole area is left undefined in this particular story. There's some form of influence. It doesn't appear to be a possession, though. But Luke has us focus more on the illness in this story. She couldn't stand up straight. It's pretty simple. We don't know exactly what's wrong with her from a medical standpoint. Most scholars think it was some kind of a fusion of the bones in her spinal column, perhaps. Others suggest that some type of a muscular paralysis. We don't really know. But regardless, she's been suffering severely for 18 years, like this. And then the healing comes. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you've been freed, literally loosed, and it's an important word in this passage. You've been loosed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. So Jesus is in the middle of his sermon when he notices this woman in the congregation and her condition, and he stops in the middle of his preaching, rather than even waiting to the end of the service, to heal her. So he stops his preaching, summons the woman to come forward, and when she finally makes her way to the very front of the congregation, because you can imagine she would move quite slowly, he pronounced her healed. And he uses the language that's going to set up his teaching in verses 15 and 16 with the word freed, or literally in the Greek, loosed, 
And you'll notice this occurs three times in our passage, and we'll get there. Well, then he laid her hands upon her, and immediately she stands up straight. We don't even know if it's her faith or lack of it is even part of this healing. We don't even know. Maybe this is the reason she even came to synagogue today, because she heard that Jesus was in town. But the issue is always Jesus' authority as the Son of God and his authority over illnesses and demons. He rules it all. And the notion and the word here immediately is a favorite of Luke. It accompanies healings and exorcisms by Jesus performed all over the place in the Gospel of Luke. We heard it repeatedly at the beginning of Luke's Gospel. We're going to still hear of it more as we go through. And there's this emphatic contrast. She's been paralyzed for 18 years, bent over, but immediately she's healed. And immediately, she can praise God. 18 long years of suffering and treatments and likely a worsening condition, and then Jesus immediately heals her. And so she immediately begins glorifying God, of course, and speaks with these words of praise to him. Again, this is a repeated theme in Luke, to immediately praise after immediately being healed. And she glorifies God by praising Jesus, Jesus himself, because that's the issue. Every single time, every single healing, the issue is about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And that's where we should always drive the conversation with people when they're excited about how God has healed them. Well, Jesus heals during the Sabbath, we know. Now, it's very important to notice at this point that, you know, this is all about the spirit-empowered ministry of Jesus. That's what Luke is presenting to us. That's why he started his gospel this has all been prophesied by Isaiah, particularly in the Old Testament, that all of Jesus' teaching, all of his healings, all of his exorcism, all of these things point to his identity. Who is it that healed? That's the most important question. Who is it that can bring this kind of salvation? And so in Luke, we were introduced to Jesus' healing and teaching ministry early on in Luke chapter 4, and we were even prepared for this particular episode in Luke 13, all along the way because Jesus seemed to have a fondness for picking the Sabbath day to do these healings. Oh, he healed on all other days too, but he particularly liked to pick the Sabbath days because they're perfect days, as we'll find out. And then there's the situation, we had a very similar one in chapter 6, starting in verse 6, came about on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath in order that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, rise and come forward. And he rose and came forward, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. And then we're going to find another one in chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. There'll be yet another one of these healings. All these healings are encouragements to us to go get mercy from God because this is the kind of God he is. He's a God of compassion, still open. And it's expressly through Jesus. Jesus is the locus of his mercy, the place, the person to go to to get mercy. He's the one appointed to receive the glory for healing in our lives. He is the eternal Son of God. So in other words, this healing, as they all are, is about Jesus. And the woman gets healed. 
That's how we're supposed to see the story. This story is about Jesus, and the woman gets blessed. Well, next, Jesus teaches about God's mercy in verses 14 to 17. And we have the official of the synagogue giving an objection, and then we have the official response from Jesus, who speaks for God. And then we finally have the official outcome that will last for all eternity. So this official objection comes from the synagogue ruler in verse 14, when he says, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, well, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. So the leader of the synagogue, or the ruler of the synagogue, whatever your translation says, he's responsible for keeping order and for the progress of the services. And so now he's giving the official perspective in front of everybody who assembled that day about what just transpired. So this is the official word that's going to go out. He's angry with Jesus, and perhaps even with the congregation. Maybe they all showed up. Maybe there was a lot of people that day in the synagogue because they knew Jesus was going to be there. And this is an illegal healing. And so he addresses the congregation and instructs them, just come for healing on any other day than the Sabbath day. I mean, Jesus does healings on other days. It doesn't have to be today. However, more than protecting the Sabbath, this particular synagogue ruler is interested in turning people away from Jesus. He's doing damage control for what took place that day. Now, it's really important to understand that in Jesus' culture, questions about the Sabbath are extremely important questions. And we need to understand this in order to be able to appreciate what's really going on here. I mean, pleasing God as God's people in everyday life would have been greatly affected by the cycle of the weekly Sabbath. And the general populace, they exhibited a great reverence for the day, and rightly so. Of course, Sabbath observance has its roots in God's creation and in God's law, the fourth commandment. It's the longest one and the one that has the most specifics for people on a daily basis to perform. Now, back when we were in Luke chapter 6, we talked about some of the new covenant options and interpretations throughout church history and how this might or might not apply today. And we just simply noted that the scripture teaches, and as the early church fathers and the reformers reminded us repeatedly, the scripture teaches that the Sabbath has its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There is not a specific relationship that's to be drawn between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. In Jesus Christ is where we find rest, as Hebrews 4 makes very clear. He is the one in whom we find fulfillment. Now, the fourth commandment, in Exodus 20, it reads this way. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Simple enough, it would seem. But the religious leaders at this point in history have allowed their traditions to overtake Scripture. You've seen that before, right? People's religious traditions overtake Scripture, and nothing new in the human race. And the straightforward understanding of Scripture, you would think, would be simple. But there was a lot of debate going on at this time on how to take care of sick people on the Sabbath. 
In general, the tradition allowed for you to do deeds of mercy on the Sabbath only in life or death situations. The reasoning is that, I mean, you have six days that you can go to urgent care. You don't have to go on Sunday, right? It's that kind of a thinking, right? So you have all these other days that you could do it. So why do you need to perform this act of mercy on the Sabbath day? Now, exceptions, of course, are made because, like, you know, giving birth. You sort of can't, sometimes, you know, can't schedule that one, especially in this day and age, right, or that day and age. And circumcision. There are other laws and principles that apply to these two very, other very important aspects of life, so they would take priority. But back to our passage, notice that Jesus used his hands in our passage. That's significant in this particular story, for the reason is that means he's doing work. He did it on purpose and probably made a very big deal out of the fact that he used his hands. It seems obvious that God's the one who really does the healing anyway. I mean, it always is. He uses all sorts of intermediaries, but God's the one who does the healing. But you know, in the Gospel according to John, this whole issue comes up again there about work and the Sabbath, and Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. is a very important point he's making constantly. And so in John 5, 16, we read, And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. So Jesus makes it very clear that there is unity course, in this triune Godhead between God the Father and God the Son, God the Spirit, but God's working on the Sabbath, Jesus said. That's what he just said in John chapter 5, and so am I, and that's why I'm doing it, because God's always at work. And so, see, Jesus in our passage in Luke is expanding their notion of God's mercy and his approval and their mercy for one another, and as we studied in Luke chapter 6, Jesus, by healing on the Sabbath, is showing that he's Lord of the Sabbath. Those religious leaders don't get to define what Sabbath observance looks like. Jesus does. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And what he does on the Sabbath is absolutely right. And how he discusses it is absolutely true and correct. It's the proper observance. He's doing exactly what's right. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and in a sense, at the time, he's in a sense giving a quick restoration of the Sabbath that they've destroyed, and implies that he's going to be bringing in some radical changes pretty soon into their traditions, especially when he brings in the fullness of the new covenant. Well, now he gives the official response from God in verses 15 to 16. So the Lord, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, answered him, the, the, the leader of the synagogue and his buddies, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So Jesus engages in this public debate, and he's also speaking to the whole congregation and speaks against the official leader, calls them hypocrites. I mean, all of them on the Sabbath day are going to go, they would loose 
let go, untie their ox or donkey to give them water. Though there were Sabbath rules that surrounded this as well. I mean, because why not have rules, right? And so you could only carry things a distance of 3,000 feet, for example, and there are only certain types of knots that would be allowed. None of that's in the Bible. Tradition overtaking Scripture. And Jesus' point is, is if they care for animals, then why don't they care for people? They've got their theology upside down. It's the reversed order of creation. Human beings are more important than animals. I mean, we recently just read in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus said, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear you're of more value than many sparrows. They have it all messed up. And Jesus makes this point even more strongly with some of these phrases that he chooses to use in here. I want you to notice them. He, he starts off right away by saying, calling her a daughter of Abraham. Giving her public dignity, when I'm sure she didn't feel very dignified. And people didn't treat her that way, I doubt it. People don't tend to treat people like that with much dignity. So she's the daughter of Abraham. Jesus is implying she, deser she deserves immediate healing. She shouldn't have to wait. And she's made in the image of God, and she's part of the covenant community of faith. And the fact that she is a woman highlights all the more how compassionate Jesus is, and all these other men are not compassionate. Satan is bound. It implies that the evil one had a role in her particular situation. And he's saying that all these hypocrites, you're on Satan's side. Wow. Ouch, that's, that's quite an accusation. To accuse somebody, not just like, oh, you got your theology wrong, but you're actually on Satan's side. Luke 11, verse 20, we already read, where Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God... Well, then the kingdom of God's come upon you. And he who is not with me is against me, and he who doesn't gather with me scatters. See, Jesus is the watershed. You're either on his side or you're not. And then 18 years, he emphasizes that, implies that this has gone on long enough. I mean, how many people, how many of you, it's like Jesus would say, how many of you would leave your donkey tied up for 18 years before you gave him a drink of water? His compassion is far greater than theirs. And this word loosed is, is a play on words, right? In verse, we saw it, we see here in verse 16, we saw it in verse 12, where free is often the translation, but loose is literal. In verse 15, untying, but loose, it's all the same word. To emphasize what Jesus is doing here and the power of granting freedom and mercy. In fact, Jesus' point really is that if you think about it for a few seconds, you're going to realize there couldn't be a better day to do a healing. I mean, the best day for a healing, if you think about it, would be on a Sabbath day. I mean, why pick the other six days? This is a perfect day to do a healing. I mean, this would be great. You could show up at synagogue, you, know, you could give praise to God, you could hear his word, and you could watch the Messiah heal somebody. I mean, that would be a great service. Well, then there's the official outcome in verse 17. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the good things that were done by him. 
This is the official outcome of God's work that lasts forever. So as Jesus spoke, his opponents were being humiliated. How do you think they felt? What do you think they're going to be doing? Well, we already know what they're doing, because the plot's starting to thicken in the Gospel of Luke already. They're going to respond later with their vicious, evil intentions. I mean, no one enjoys being humiliated, especially religious leaders. And they're going to be very committed to opposing Jesus. I mean, eventually to the point. Well, they'll crucify him. Well, the leaders as a whole here fail to recognize the time and person of the Messiah. In Luke 12, 56, he said, just in the last chapter as we're reading, you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky. Right? He's talking about how you can judge the weather by just going and looking. But why don't you analyze this present time? Meaning, Jesus is saying, I've been going around for two years, preaching the kingdom of God, healing people, casting out demons, right? It should be obvious that the kingdom of God is here, and I'm the Messiah from heaven, the eternal Son of God. But you just spend your time, apparently, just analyzing weather. But you should be analyzing the times. Now, meanwhile, while they're all upset, and doing their plotting, the entire congregation is rejoicing, it says, over all the glorious things being done by Jesus. This isn't just talking about what happened that day. It's talking about everything that they've seen. They've probably seen some personal things personally. They've heard stories from their friends and relatives about what Jesus has been doing. So it's referencing two years of miracles. They're rejoicing at all the glorious things he's been done, and we're brought back in our story to verse 13, at the end, we go back to 13, where the woman is healed, and the congregation is now seen, seen joining with the woman who was healed in glorifying God. And so do we. I mean, hopefully, we're still excited every time we hear about God's healing today and how it glorifies Jesus Christ. Did you notice in verse 17, we have another word that's repeated three times? This time it's the same in English, all. Notice this, he says, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that he has done. This is on purpose. Showing the inevitable outcome of Jesus' ministry. This is what's going to happen this is a foreshadowing in the gospel according to Luke of what you are going to be reading about, what you're going to be observing, what you're going to have to ponder, what you're going to have to think about and pray through. All of Jesus' enemies, they're going to be humiliated for all eternity. And all of his recipients of mercy, they're just going to be rejoicing over his glory all the time. So we should go get mercy from God because he offers compassion through Jesus Christ. You see, no one can sit on the fence and watch Jesus work without forming an opinion about him. As one theologian and pastor, Daryl Bach, puts it, Jesus is too great of a figure to be left to neutrality. To those sensitive to what God is doing, here's a picture in Luke 13 of the woman now able to leave the scene and stand up straight 
It's as if her posture points directly to heaven from where the miracle came from. And for Luke's readers, there's reassurance that Jesus is the one through whom God works. A special time in God's plan has come, yet the question remains, with which part of the crowd does the reader identify? The complainers or those who praise God? With whom do you identify? Complainers, questioners, people can't make up their mind about Jesus, that group? Or do you identify with the people who offer praise to God for what Jesus has done? You see, the woman was freed from an infirmity and an oppressive spirit, and it points, it points to an even larger reality. It's a picture of being freed from all infirmities and oppressions, even sin. In the context of the Gospel of Luke. That's our context, by the way. So every little story in the Gospel of Luke, you got to read the whole book of Luke to know how it fits. Because that's the context. And in the context of the Gospel of Luke, we see that all these healings point to a much larger story. You know the story. As a result of the fall of Adam and Eve, sin and death entered the world of humanity. And this death has many forms. It's talking about our physical death. Every human being that has ever lived has died. It refers to a spiritual death because sin inhabits who we are at the core of our being, and we can all see it in our lives and experience it in our minds and our hearts and even see it in each other. There's a spiritual death that reigns over humanity, and we see it, and there's an eternal death that will come when judgment day comes. That's the natural condition of humanity. But as a result of what Jesus Christ would do when he came, he would offer up himself on the cross as a payment for our sins and be raised from the dead to life again, showing that he conquered death and judgment and sin and hell and all these things on the behalf of his people who had put their hope in him. He would redeem, rescue, pull us out of that situation and grant us life. Spiritual life comes first. Eternal life is ours. And eventually, we're going to have a life in a resurrected body like Jesus that will far surpass the infirmities that we all experience here. That's the storyline. And so this life, what we're looking forward to is this physical resurrection. That's the ultimate healing. Everyone's going to be fully healed who believes in Jesus Christ, at the resurrection day. And our spiritual rebirth is the healing of our soul that we get to experience now. And eternal life even begins now as we experience a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so all healing that we read about in Scripture, all healing that we observe in our world, it all is a foretaste. It's all a promise. It's all a hope for ultimate healing, for the resurrection day, and for glory. That's why we love healings. Now, more simply, if you remember how we began this morning, I asked you to think what you, about what you needed from Jesus today. What mercy do you need? Because I know that we're not strong enough to live our lives on our own. But what kind of mercies do you need from God today? He'll give you that mercy through faith in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you need salvation the complete forgiveness of sin. 
that you've been struggling with. You're trying to figure out, how do I get rid of this? Well, you can inherit eternal life if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you need healing in your life, and that's a huge category, which I've already, I think, adequately laid out for us this morning, that healing covers so many aspects of who we are as people. And you know, when we go to God and we ask for that, He always listens with compassion to our requests, and then always works in what meets our, our greatest needs, even if we don't realize them at the time, and He acts in complete wisdom and complete holiness on our behalf. And as his people, we trust him in his decision-making. So whatever your needs may be, would you follow Luke's encouragement this morning and go get your mercy from God? He offers compassion expressly and freely and abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's where it's to be found. And such a fitting passage to be set before us before we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, which is what we're going to do in a second. So if the men who are going to help me with that would please come forward at this time. We're going to be celebrating what Jesus Christ has done for us through these elements.